many of you this past week and the week before, uh, a lot has been happening in our world, a lot has been happening specifically in our own backyard and in our nation. Uh, Just as many of you, I've been burdened as well. This morning I woke up and as I was preparing um, a little bit more for this passage today, I think God spoke to me and he gave me this passage to read to you. And before we start, I want to read this aloud because it brings us all hope. It's Psalm 47. It says, clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with loud songs of joy. For the Lord the Most High is to be feared. A great king over all the earth. He subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. He chose our heritage for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loves. God has gone up with a shout. The Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God, sing praises. Sing praises to our king, sing praises. For God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises with the psalm. Listen to verse 8. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. The princes of the peoples gather as the people of the God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. Our hope is in Christ. Our hope will always be in Christ. And one thing, regardless of what happens in this life, we need to understand is God is on his throne. Nothing surprises him. Nothing is new to him. He is the King of kings, he is the Lord of lords, and he always will be. Let's pray before we begin. Father, I just ask today that you speak through me, Lord. Just give me the the words to say, Father, the tenderness of heart, the compassion that you have in this passage, Lord, as you have made it clear what your calling is for all of us. And I pray, God, today that we would not just come here hearing your word, but, Father, we would allow your word to convict us. Father, as we look into your word and we see that if we listen to it, we know that it penetrates to bone and marrow, to soul and spirit. And so I ask today, Holy Spirit, that you come and you move in this place like you never have before. God, that you give wisdom, that you give discernment, and above all else, that you give guidance to those here in this place, and that you are glorified above all. So, Father, we give you this day, we give you our all, and we pray all of these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to Matthew uh, chapter 9. We're going to be in there today. As I was thinking about this passage, I couldn't help but to think of those moments whenever you're in a crowd. You can probably relate to me when you've been in a crowd and somebody's kind of looking at you. You know, I kind of get this a lot because there's a lot of y'all out here and there's only one of me. You know, Eric is one person and there's a lot of y'all. And so between three services, there's a lot of different faces that we don't necessarily know all the time. And so there are moments when we are out and about and somebody's looking at you trying to get your attention. Now, my dad, on the other hand, he is on TV every Sunday morning. So he's a minister of music down at First Baptist Columbia. And so there are a lot of times growing up that we would be out in public somewhere and somebody would just kind of give him that look. And I would have to say, Dad, I think that person knows you and uh, you need to go talk to them because they would see him on TV and all of that. And there was this one time we were at Belt, and I'll never forget it, it was kind of funny because there was this lady, and she was looking at my dad just kind of funny, and my dad just did what you naturally do in that situation, just assume that you know them because the, the, the probability that you do is, is pretty good that you know them. And so he goes, hey, how are you doing? And started talking to the lady, and she looked over at me and goes, I don't know who that guy is. And so I look at today's passage, and I think that there are many moments 
in our life when somebody is trying to look at us and they're trying to get our attention and they're trying to tell us something. But then there's moments like my dad when they're trying to, uh, they're just looking at us, you think that they're trying to get your attention and it ends up being very awkward. My hope today is this, is that you'll understand in this passage that God is trying to get your attention. That he is trying to tell you something, and what he is trying to tell you is his heart. What he is trying to tell you is his vision. What he is trying to tell you is his passion, and he wants you to come on board and to be a part of it. One of the words in Scripture that has become kind of taboo today is this word lost. We don't like to refer to people who do not know Jesus as being lost. You know, I've done some research on that word, and in fact, that word means in the Greek this. It means that which has not been used or claimed. You know, I look into the scripture and I see in Luke 19.10, it says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. So we use this word, and we, and we think that it's somewhat taboo, but what we need to understand is this. is that the word lost has great value to Christ. And what I want us to understand today as we enter into this passage is that we need to realize this, is that outside of Christ, we are all lost. In fact, three times in the scripture we see in Luke 15 that this word lost is used. It is used uh, talking about a sheep, how, how there are 99 sheep, and if one goes astray, that the shepherd will leave and he will go after that one. We look and we see that they're uh, referring to it in, as money. If you have money, and let's say for those of you here, if you lose a dollar, you're going to spend time trying to find that dollar, even if you have ten more in your pocket, because it has value to it. But we also see it in one of the most uh, well-known passages in all of Scripture, in the prodigal son. The son was not rendered useless in the eyes of his father. Today what we need to understand is that word lost has great value. Where the value is lost is simply this, it's through laziness. See, someone who is acting as a lazy person, that does not mean they are a useless person, but their attitude and their actions in that moment are rendering them useless. See, God looks at us and He says that you all have value, but you may not be living up to the potential that He has given you because you are not listening to Him. And so my hope for us today is that we will look and we will see what Jesus wants from us. That we will walk away here understanding that we have great value, that we have great purpose. And when we allow Christ to use us, great things can and will happen. So what does Jesus want from us? Well, in today's passage we see that first and foremost, He wants us. Let's read what he has to say in Matthew 9. It says, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. So what we see first off in this is that when Jesus looks at people, he sees us in two ways. And the first thing that he sees is this, is that Jesus sees the flock. 
In other words, Jesus sees you. No matter what's going on in your life, no matter how much hurt, no matter how much pain, Jesus knows what is going on and he sees you. You can't run from him. You might think you can, but you cannot because he knows what is going on. You know, I look at this, and in this passage, what we see is that he sees the flock. Now, if the flock was properly cared for, then Jesus would not have to go to them. So what we see as a result of society's influence, the flock has not been cared for. Now, this society was a very religious society, somewhat reflecting the society in which we live today. You go into a southern culture, and on every other street corner, there is a church. And so you cannot really run from religiosity. But what Jesus realizes is that religion will never save anyone. The only way that we find hope in this life, the only way that we will be saved from this crookedness called the world is only through Christ. And so Jesus saw religion, and he said, that flock needs me. And so what he did is he pursued the flock. And one of my favorite passages is verse 36. Because I believe verse 36 really exemplifies what is going on in our heart. You know, too often we come into church, we hear from the pulpit somebody talking about sin, 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 sin. You did this, you did that. But we never really get down to the root of what sin does in our life. And see, when we look at Jesus and when we see what he sees in the flock, we've got to understand this. That God knows what we are going through. It says in verse 36, When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. You know, when I look at this passage, it reminds me of when I would go fishing. Now, I don't fish all the time, but from time to time, I will go fishing. And, and I remember when I was a kid, one of my first times I ever went fishing was with my grandfather. Still got my little uh, bass up on the wall in their house that I, I caught. Uh, but one thing that I've always realized is that when I go fishing, when that fish comes out of the water, they're not real thankful. You know, they're not real happy. They're, they're, they're frustrated. Like, okay, why? I was in here just chilling, having a good time. And you come here with this worm, all right? You give me this nice little worm, but then I think, oh, great, thank you for this snack, and there's a hook in it, and now I'm out of the water. And so I'm frustrated, I'm angry, I'm mad. When we look at sin, it's kind of like that fish out of the water. And what we realize is this, is that our life outside of Christ is just like that fish, We look in this passage, he describes our hearts as being harassed. That word harassed means to be distressed. What it really looks like is to mangle. Now, when I was a kid, it was when when the big recycling thing was going on. You know, everybody was telling, recycle, recycle, recycle. Now, I recycle. I'm not coming here today and tell you to not be a good steward to the environment, but I, I definitely recycle. But I remember one of the things that they taught us as a kid in elementary school was that if you get a, a you know, a six-pack of Coke, you cut the, the plastic because those fish can get caught in there. So I was, like, freaking out. I was like, I don't want to kill any fish. I was like, I don't want to be that guy. I look at that and I think, well, goodness, you know, when those fish get caught, what's happening is they're being choked. They are struggling for life. 
You know, I look at that and to be mangled, to, to feel harassed, that's exactly what Jesus is trying to portray to us, is that when we are living in sin, when we allow that sin to just absorb our life, what it looks like is this. It doesn't look like it's, it's very fun. For those of you who have been caught up into sin, when you have followed through into temptation, myself included, we understand that it is not fun. If any of you have ever experienced a, a heartache in a relationship, if you've experienced heartache through substance abuse, um, those are just a couple little things, but, but the heartache that comes as a result of sin is not fun. And it's just like that fish who is caught in that plastic being mangled. Well, what does the Bible tell us about this? He says in Hebrews 12, 1, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. You know, God looks at us, and He cares for us so much that He sees our hearts being mangled. He sees our lives being mangled, and He's just simply saying, let it go. Let it go so that He can provide for us, so that He can lead us, so that He can love us. And what we realize is this, is when we continue to live harassed, we are living a life that is exhausting, exhausting. I don't know if you've ever done the, uh, the fireman run, you know, when you have to carry somebody on your back and you have to run from point A to point B, and it can be exhausting when there is somebody on your back as you're trying to run. I don't know if you've ever had to run with weights. You know, it's hard enough doing something without weights, but then when you put weights on it, it makes it even harder. This is the picture that God wants us to see. When we are putting sin on our life, it's as if we are running with those weights on us, and he's simply saying, let them go, let them drop, let them fall, and allow me to get you through. So we look and we see that sin makes us feel harassed, but the other we see is it leaves us helpless. The word helpless means to be dispirited. What it really looks like is simply this. It's to lay prostrate. You are exhausted. In high school, even today, there's some days that when you are just working out so hard that as soon as you are done, all you want to do is collapse. I'll have to admit this. This is really hard for me to admit, and I wasn't planning on doing it, but I'm just going to go ahead and, and say it, all right? So bear with me. Several weeks ago, my wife talked me into doing body pump with her. Now, for a guy, that's a pride thing, but yes, I went and I did body pump. Now, for those of you who understand what body pump is, you're laughing. Everyone else, you're kind of like, what's he talking about? This makes no sense. Body pump is pretty much like middle-aged women, and there's a couple guys in there. So I'm in there doing body pump with her. And so, you know, you walk in as a guy, and you're just kind of like, okay, this is easy. I'm going to do this. I'm going to knock it out. No problem. Now, I'm going to go ahead and tell you, it's kind of hard. Like, it, it was pretty hard. Like, all you're doing is, like, squats over and over and over, then, like, lunges over and over and over and over. I've done a lot of different types of workout, and uh, maybe I'm just out of shape or what, but it was pretty difficult. And when we got home, all I wanted to do is just, like, lay down. And my wife's like, get up, what are you doing? I was like, that was pretty difficult. And so I'm laying down just like, just leave me alone. Let me just sit here. 
You know, I look at that and I see that's exactly what it means when we live helpless. We are to that point where we just don't want to do anything because our sin has just knocked us down. And what it looks like is what we already stated earlier. It is like a fish out of the water. Now, when we are living like a fish out of the water, what we need to understand is this. When a fish is out of the water, is it in its natural habitat? This means no. This means yes. So we look at this fish, and when it is out of the water, it is out of its natural habitat. Now, here's what we need to understand is this. This that we see around us, this world is not the natural ecosystem that God created for us to live in. As a result of sin, everything that God created has been messed up. It is not what he did. It does not reflect the creator, but it reflects the creation because we are the ones that were disobedient towards him. And so we look and we realize that because of sin, we are out of our natural habitat. And as a result, what we are looking for is someone to come to reach down and to save us and to put us in the habitat that was originally created for us. That someone is God. That someone specifically is Jesus. We see that in verse 36. So we see what sin does, but we look and see what God did. And Jesus did this. It said, he had compassion for them. Here's what I want you to see, church. I want you to see that in our lives of living helpless and harassed lives is that God has compassion for us. When God looks at you and he sees your disobedience, when he sees what is going on in your life, he does not sit there and he does not scold you, but God looks at you and he knows what's happening. He knows what's making you hurt, and he says, let me put you back into your natural habitat. Let me come. Let me save you. Let me come. Let me live with you. Let me guide you. Let me love you. And he has compassion for us. I believe in a day and age when we have so many different depictions of who God is, we need to look into his word and understand that he is holy, that he is mighty, that he is just, and that he is good, but he also has compassion. And he loves us. And he wants to help us. So Jesus looks at the flock and he sees us in our distress and he gives us life. But Jesus doesn't only see the individual, he sees the big picture. See, Jesus not only sees the flock, but Jesus sees the field. Verse 35, it says, And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. Jesus had a task. We see that task fulfilled in verse 37. It says he looked at his disciples and he said, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. What we see here about Jesus is that he demonstrates one of the single greatest attributes of a leader, and that is vision. Jesus was a visionary. He saw the big picture, and what he was doing was training his disciples to go out into the field, and he is still doing that today, and he wants to use you. A couple weeks ago, I was able to go to a leadership conference, and I was able to listen to Pat Williams. For those of you who uh, may not be familiar with Pat Williams, Pat has written 100 books. 
He is the uh, one of the he's one of the uh, vice presidents for the Orlando Magic. In fact, he was uh, very instrumental in getting the Orlando Magic to go to Orlando. Now he had a great respect for a man named Walt Disney. If you can put two and two together, you can see how Orlando became the magic. Magic Kingdom, respect for Disney, Orlando Magic. And so you see that parallel. One of the things that Pat talks about is how Walt Disney was a great visionary. He had a great trait. Well, what is vision? It's simply seeing before others and guess what? Making it happen. See, visionaries see the house before the first brick. They see the painting before you purchase the canvas. They see the shirt before the first thread is sewn. Walt Disney was a great visionary. At the age of 21, he lost everything except $40. He took that $40, he got a uh, train ticket, and went to Los Angeles. It was there that he started the Laugh-O-Grams, and many of his cartoon characters came as a result of that. He experienced adversity. In fact, one of my favorite things about Walt Disney is him being a great visionary is simply this. He would go to his management team, and he would share with them an idea. And if they understood the idea, he was reluctant to do it because he said, well, if they can see it, then it's probably not good enough. And so if they saw his idea and they were worried about it following through, then that's when Disney knew it was time to pursue that idea. Disney was a great visionary, and he was the mastermind behind what we see today as Disneyland and Disney World. And one of my favorite stories about Disney being a a, a visionary was when he was out at the park at Disneyland, and he took his friend Art Linkletter with him. And he was out of the park, and all it was was dirt, hills of dirt everywhere, miles and miles of dirt. And he was trying to convince his friend Art to purchase all the land across the park because he did not want it to become real touristy. And so he walked with him, and he told him, Art, I want you to buy every property around here. Listen to what Art said. He said, I should have listened to him, but I couldn't grasp his vision. Years later, I did a calculation. Every step that day was worth about $3 million, or would have been if I had taken Walt's advice. He said, I would have been a billionaire, and I let it slip right through my fingers. I look at that story, and I see it's not that much different for us. See, God can give us something greater than money. He can give us eternal life. He can give us hope to be with him forever. And what God is simply asking us is this. It's to invest in his vision. It's to invest in his purpose. It's to invest in his kingdom. Matthew 6.10 says, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's plan is simply this, to establish his kingdom on earth through us. When he talks about praying for his kingdom come, he's not talking about a physical kingdom with with castles and with with these moats and, and with all of these animatronics as we see from Disney's perspective. What he's talking about is he's talking about lives that are being changed one person at a time. Simply all of us acting as a witness to what Christ has done in our own personal life. And he is asking us to go out into the harvest because Jesus can 
can see the harvest. Jesus can see the future. And he knows that one day he is coming back. And he knows that on that day for all those who are a part of his kingdom, it will be great. And we see in his scripture that on that day he will separate the wheat from the chaff. And the chaff will be thrown into the fire and will be burned up. And so God is pleading to us to follow him. To be a part of his kingdom. To be a part of his vision. And to invest. What does that look like? It looks like leaving a legacy. You know, that word legacy is very important to me, especially working with students. Because what I realize is this. The things that I say and the things that I do are being looked at all the time. It's funny when I'll talk to students, well, what did you learn from this? And they say some story that I didn't even know that I said. And it really just holds you accountable to the things that you do. And I look at this and I see that what God is wanting us to do is that he is wanting us to impact others by leaving a legacy. Where are we to leave this legacy? We are to leave it here, there, and everywhere. Well, what does that look like, that legacy that we are to leave here? Well, we are to leave that legacy here in our church. Here is, is not just inside these walls, but it is the community in which we live. So let me ask you this. What does your neighbors think of you? What do your coworkers think of you? What do the people in, in these seats think of you? How are you reaching out to them? How are you investing in them, reflecting God's kingdom in your life to allow them to know that there is hope and that you love them and that you care for them? We see here... We see there, well, there is anything outside your general community. There could be downtown Columbia if you do not go there all the time. It could be Greenville, Spartanburg, Charleston, Myrtle Beach. You know what? Set up shop down at the beach and, and reflect God's glory. That could be a nice place to do it, you know. And so it is these places outside of your general community. And everywhere involves the world. In other words, we are to leave our legacy and our imprint and our impact, not just here, but we are to go everywhere. This is not uh, something that God offers. This is something that God requires of his followers. And if we are not doing it, then what we are simply doing is we are disobeying. We are no different than Paul standing back and watching Stephen be stoned without doing anything. See, the Bible is clear that doing nothing is yet a sin. And so what we simply are showing the world is that we are a witness to what Christ has done in our life. So what are we to do? We see that God has reached out to the flock. We see that he wants us to be a part of the field. So how do we let his light shine? I think it's very simple. If you're taking notes, you can write this down, or you can just make a mental note. I think it's very simple. One, when God's looking at you, make eye contact. When he's trying to get your attention, don't do the whole, I'm looking away. When he's talking to you, make eye contact. The second thing that you need to do is simply this, is to listen. See, today, God has spoken to you. He has used his word to speak to you. Now, whether you have chosen to listen, that is up to you, but God has spoken. And that's why I wanted to say, listen rather than hear, because you hear God's word, but have you chosen to listen? Because listening requires action. So make eye contact. Second, listen. The third thing is simply this, do. Do. Get up out of your seat, make an impact, find a place to serve, 
There's plenty of places within this church. VBS is one area that you could do that. Very simple. We have people that we need out here doing hospitality week in and week out. We need people out greeting. Talk about leaving an, an imprint. How about those first impressions as people are coming into church? Now, I'm pretty biased about this one. An area that we really need help with is, is this, student ministry. I mean, what greater opportunity to leave an imprint on the lives of a teenager than student ministry? You know, in children ministry, to be able to care for these children because what these students need is simply this. They need to see somebody who is going to show them love. They don't need someone to get up and, and to tell them what the, the Greek and the Hebrew is and all the scripture. There's going to be opportunities for that. But what they need to see is a life demonstrated, reflecting the glory of Christ in their lives day in and day out. They need that personal investment. And so you have an opportunity within this church to go out into the community and to spread the gospel around the world. And the last place that you can do that is going to Haiti. That's an opportunity that we have to go to the world. One of the things that my V group does is we sponsor a compassion kid. We, we sponsor a child in Kenya. There's opportunities through Open Doors Ministry. If you want more, to know more about compassion, you can go to Compassion International. There are plenty of opportunities to be able to minister all around the world, to minister here, to minister in your community. But what you have to do is simply this. You've got to do it. You can't just sit there. We gripe about wanting Jesus to come back. But how awful would it be for Christ to come back and not everyone been given an opportunity to know him? How selfish of us to say, Jesus, come back and save us from this awful place when there are people who have never heard the gospel. And in essence, what we are simply saying is, Jesus, come take me and let them go to hell. What an awful thing to do. But what we should be doing is saying, God, send me. Let me share with them your love. And then take us home. My hope for you, church, today is that God has spoken to you. That first and foremost, you will trust him with your life. Trust him with your personal life. But you will also let him use your life and give you the value that he intended for you to have.